Well, grace and peace to you from the God who is, who was, and is still yet to come. Amen. Well, we are continuing on our series called On Purpose, and we're using that acronym SHAKE to talk about how God has shaped us and how he's equipped us. And so the five areas that we've been looking are at are S, our spiritual gifts, H, our heart, A, your abilities, P, your personality, and E, your experiences. So today, we are going to focus on the P of the word shape, which is personality. Now, we're going to have a little bit of fun with this at the beginning. I want you to take a pen, and I want you to write your first name either on the back of the notes page or somewhere in the bulletin with your preferred hand. So write your first name with your preferred hand. And then once you finish writing your name with your preferred hand, I want you to switch hands and write your name with your other hand. I hear some snickering out there. How'd that go for you? When you write with your other hand, now your preferred hand, it was simple. You just easily wrote it. God wired you that way, right? You write with either your left or your right hand. Now, if you use your other hand, what happens? It looks a lot messier. It took you a lot more concentration and focus, and you really had to think about how you wrote your name, didn't you? It was a little bit different, difficult. Well, whether you write with your left or your right, it's merely a preference. And God has wired our personalities in different ways. Now, uh, personality is basically a collection of preferences, of mental, emotional, behavior, and character-like personality. It forms our personality. Now, that doesn't mean that you're stuck with your personality. I'm sure some of you are saying, I hope I'm not stuck with my personality. But in reality, you kind of are. You can try to change some things, but you know what? God created you uniquely, and so therefore, your personality is pretty much who you are. Another preference question, and we're going to have a little fun with this because I know all of you have an, an opinion on it. How many of you think it matters which way the toilet paper goes on the roll? Come on, raise your hands. All right, I've learned a lot about some of you. Just saying. How many of you believe that the toilet paper roll should go under nearest the wall? Any hands? Seriously, not even one person is going to admit that they put it on underneath? Now, if you have a cat, you probably have to put it on that way because otherwise, you know. Okay, how many of you prefer it going over the top? All right. And how many of you don't even care? Okay, you know why? Because you probably came with or married to the person that raised their hand earlier, right? Yeah, okay. How about a grocery list? Are any of you really detailed people? I have a, one friend who does it this way. She writes it out by the way the store is laid out, so dairy, meat, you know, fruit and vegetables. And then she carries a pen with her. So when she goes shopping, she crosses off every item she purchases. She's a very detailed, thoughtful person. She needs to write everything out. Any people like that in here? Okay, you probably go home with the things you're supposed to go home with, right? 
Then there's the other side. Some of us who are a little more spontaneous. We just go in and grab a cart and we just go row by row and we hope that we remember to buy toilet paper. Any of you in here like that? Okay, good, because I feel better now. I don't feel so bad that I roam up and down the store, you know. But are there any right or wrong ways of doing any of these things? Absolutely not. I would just say that there's preferences. We prefer to do things a certain way, and that's because we're wired a certain way. You know, it's obvious that God did not use a cookie cutter to create us. He made introverts and he made extroverts. He made people who love routine, who fill out lists, and then he likes those of us who love variety and more spontaneity in our lives. He also has created people who love to work alone on a single assignment, and then he's wired some of us to work together with people. We love energy around people, but there's no right or wrong in any of those decisions. Now, over the years, many of us have probably taken in the workplace different studies to help us figure out who we are. One of the most popular ones, of course, is Myers-Briggs. Have any of you taken Myers-Briggs? Okay. I'm going to use that this morning just as a framework before we launch in. Um, obviously, Myers-Briggs does not come from the Bible, so we're gonna, but we're going to talk about it in this framework just so to help us unpack a little bit about what we're talking about with regard to personality. So the first area of Myers-Briggs is either the introvert or extrovert. I think we know what that means. Now, if I was to ask you which disciple was probably the most extroverted one of them all, what name comes to mind? Starts with a P. Peter, of course, because Peter was really good at what? Putting his foot in his mouth. He was this extroverted guy that just he would just go and do without really thinking through the, the actions that he was doing or what he was saying, you know. And one of the favorite stories for me is the time when he was out on the, up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you remember that? When Jesus took Peter, James, and John up there, and then guess what? Elijah comes and Moses comes, and what does Peter want to do? He says, hey, Jesus, I'm going to build us some tabernacles up here, and we can just stay up here. And then God himself rebukes Peter. I mean, he's probably the only disciple that got rebuked from God directly. This cloud comes down, and God says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Peter was an extrovert. Well, Peter had a brother, Andrew. Andrew, I suspect being in the shadow of Peter, was an introvert. And do you remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000 in John 6? All right, so we've got this, they're going to have to get some food for these people. We know that Philip was arguing about how much money there needed to be, and I bet you Peter was probably in there with him. The Bible doesn't say that, but we can infer that. Where's Andrew? Andrew's walking along, talking to the people, and he sees a little boy. He goes up to him, and he says, what do you got there? And the little boy says, I got some loaves and fishes. And Andrew says, you know, I wonder if Jesus can use that. Can I take that to Jesus? And, of course, we know the rest of the story. The disciples are both introverts and extroverts. There's not one that's better than the other. They're just differently wired. And so they look at the world in a different way. The second part of, of Myers-Briggs is sensing and intuition. This is the way you process information. Now, some people need sensing. They need to see, hear, touch, taste, smell something before they can really um, approve of something. So think about one of the disciples that that best fits. Thomas. 
What did Thomas need to do? He needed to see Jesus in front of him so he could actually touch his wounds. And there's intuition, and people with intuition process information differently. They like to think through a problem rather than have hands-on experience. And then the third area of Myers-Briggs is thinking versus feeling, how you make decisions. Now, thinking people like to analyze pros and cons. They're very logical in their approach. Feelers are a little different. They work with a set of values, and they like to include all people. And then the fourth area of Myers-Briggs is judging versus perceiving. That's how you choose to live. It's your lifestyle. Now, judging does not mean judgmental, but what it means is you preferred an orderly way of life. You want things to be planned out and organized. Perceiving, a perceiving person is flexible, and they're spontaneous, and they're going to want to adapt to the world around them rather than try to organize the world. Well, your personality will affect how and where you use your spiritual gifts and your abilities and passions that God has given you. For instance, two people can have the exact same spiritual gift of evangelism, but if one is introverted and one is extroverted, that gift is going to be expressed in a very different way. Think about Peter and Andrew as an example. But when you and I live out our faith in a manner that's consistent with the personality that God gave to us, we can experience fulfillment satisfaction and fruitfulness in our life it feels good when you do exactly what god made you to do the bible says in mark 12 30 love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind and with all your strength and the second is this love your neighbor as yourself there is no commandment greater than these the number one purpose of our life is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the most important thing. And then he says, love others. Love others. So love God and love others. One of the ways that we can look at personality today is we're going to take that verse and we're going to look at it through the lens of personality. We're going to look at all four of loving God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, the reality is we're all a mixture of those four, but we probably have one that we really relate to out of those four. And so it's good for us to understand ourselves in light of that. Now, we can see in this passage, too, that God is a very personal God, and he made us with very different personalities and how he wants us to be one with him, he also wants us to be one with each other, regardless of our differences and our unique personalities. I think personality can help teach us about how to love others. God wants you to love him, to worship him, and serve him with your whole personality. God doesn't want you to worship like someone else. God doesn't want you to serve like someone else. God wants you to be you. That should be very freeing to you because that means you don't have to worship God the way someone else does. That means that you can worship him using different styles of worship preferences. If you like traditional, you can be traditional. If you prefer to worship modern, you can worship in a modern setting. You know, some people like to raise their hands when they worship. Some people like to 
get on their knees when they worship. Some people close their eyes. And I know many of you love to sing the hymns and you listen to the words of those beautiful stanzas and you just let the words wash over your mind and over your heart. So actually, there are heart people, soul people, mind people, and strength people. We are a mixture. Well, we're going to look at how God wants you to worship, how to serve him and share and know him by the way that you have been shaped by him. You don't have to be somebody you're not. In fact, the Bible says this in Romans 12, 9, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Or the Message Bible, I think, sums it up even better. Romans 12, 9 from the Message says, love from the center of who you are, don't fake it. Love from the center of who you are, don't fake it. If you're not a feeler, that's okay. Don't fake it. If you're not a doer, don't fake it. If you're not a thinker, don't fake it. Be who God made you to be. So let's look at those four personalities laid out in our gospel today. The first kind of personality, it says, love God with all your heart. And that refers to talkers. Talkers are people who love God with their heart. But there's a connection there. The Bible talks about it over and over again between the mouth and the heart. The two of them are connected. For instance, if I have a problem with profanity and cussing, is that a problem with my mouth or is that a problem with my heart? My heart. I should have told my mother that because that would have saved me from getting my mouth washed out with soap all those years. Now, if I tend to judge people and I say angry things to people and critical and I'm sarcastic to people, is that a mouth issue or a heart issue? It's a heart issue. Heart people like to talk. They're very verbal people. But here's the deal. If your heart is filled with anger and rage, what's going to come out of your mouth? Anger and rage. If your heart is filled with anxiety and depression and loneliness and pain, that's going to come out of your mouth. But if your heart is filled with joy and love, that's going to come out of your mouth. There's a definite heart-mouth connection with talkers. Psalm 16.9 says, My mouth shouts his praises because my heart is filled with joy. Talkers are people who worship God with their heart. And when your heart is filled as a talker, it brims to overflowing. And I'm just speaking from experience. I can't help but talk. I can't help but share that with people. Heart people love to tell stories. They love to have conversations with people. They love to sit in the gathering room around a table and talk. They love to go and visit people and have coffee. I think about my grandmother, Cora, Grandma Cora. She loved talking. And she'd say to me, Carol Ann, we're going visiting. And that meant four hours <laughs> of going to one, two, or three people's homes to sit and have coffee and talk. But what's the purpose of this personality? Each of the four have a certain uh, purpose attached to them. Well, the purpose of talkers is this. The world needs communication. The world needs to have people who can communicate. We need people who can lead discussions. We need people who can verbalize for the rest of us. We need teachers and counselors. We need coaches who can teach us and then direct us. We need comedians 
And we even need pastors. We need people with those kinds of verbal skills to help us sort through the world and to move forward. Now, with each of the personalities, there are benefits. And with talkers, there's an enormous benefit. Proverbs 12 says, the words of the wise bring healing. You see, the right words at the right time can change and heal a hurting, broken person. They can restore, words can cure, they can encourage, they can develop, help to develop, they can help to build you up. You should use your ability to verbalize, if you have that, to guide and direct and point people in the right direction. Now, as with all personalities, there's the inverse side, isn't there? Obviously, the weakness of this personality is that we often stick our foot in our mouth, right? Like Peter. We say the wrong thing to the wrong person at the wrong time or the inappropriate thing when we shouldn't. The Bible says in Proverbs 10, the more you talk, the more you are likely to sin. So here's God's caution to talkers. You also have to act. You know, talkers are really good about talking about things they're going to do, right? Oh, we really should get to redecorating that living room. You know, I think we should really do that. We should paint that wall. And they maybe talk about it for a week, two weeks, a month, a year. But you actually have to do something. You can't just keep talking about things. You've got to move forward and take some action and do it. Now, the second kind are what we call feelers. Now, feelers are those who love God with their souls. Now, the word soul in the Bible can mean many different things, but oftentimes it's kind of talking about the seat of emotion. The Greek word for soul is psyche, the psyche, which is talking about the innermost self, someone's dis your distinct identity. Well, the reason you have emotions is because God created you in his image, and God is an emotional God. He has emotions. He has feelings. He gets happy and he's angry and he gets sad. And he's given us humans this wide range of emotions. If you're a feeler, your favorite book is probably the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms talks about every emotion you could ever think of. Here are just a few. It talks about a downcast soul, a disturbed soul a satisfied soul, a yearning soul, a troubled and lonely soul, a joyful soul. It talks about a bitter soul, a thirsty soul, a hungry soul, a rejoicing soul, a delighted soul, a longing soul. Can you hear the passion in those words? You can just hear the passion. Soul people really connect with their emotions. They're in touch with their emotions in a deep way. Well, why do we need feelers in this world? Well, we need more than just communication, don't we? We need to have feelers in this world so that they can lead us to compassion. We need feelers to lead us to compassion. The purpose of God putting feelers in this world is because God himself is a compassionate God. We need people like this who deeply care for others who deeply care for issues in our country, in our society, in our culture. They often care deeply for God, but they also care deeply for helping others, for encouraging others, for sympathizing with people going through tough things. A feeler is a people person, and feelers are very popular. Why? 
Because when you go to one of them and you talk to them and you say, I'm really hurting and this is what's happening to me, they're the ones that say, oh my goodness, tell me more. I'm so sorry. How can I help? They actually care. They actually listen to you. The Bible says this in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind and compassionate to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. You know, God says, I've been tenderhearted to you. I've been kind to you. I've been loving to you. I've forgiven you. And I want you to do the same with others. And that's not just for feelers. He wants all of us to care deeply for people. Now, are there weaknesses with this personality? Absolutely. Feelers are very tempted by their feelings. They're tempted by their emotions. So sometimes they can be swayed to make a decision based solely on what they're feeling rather than the facts and the truth about a situation. So what's the caution to God, from God for feelers? He's going to say, you must let God lead you. You must let him lead you. You need to put your emotions on the shelf, and then you need to ask God for your, his guidance through the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can make a decision that is sound. The Bible said this in John 16, 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. It's interesting in worship, when you watch feelers worship. They often close their eyes. They often worship with their bodies. They raise their hands, some of them. And some of them, when they close their eyes, they have this just beautiful smile on their face but regardless of your personality God wants you to worship him with your soul with all of your emotions now the third personality we're talking about thinkers now talkers love God with their hearts feelers love God with their souls thinkers love God with their minds and so Have you ever thought that you can worship God with your intellect? Have you ever thought about that? Those of you who are intellectual people, you can. In fact, you can bring glory to God by you doing intellectual activities. You see, God never said, put your brain over there and now come follow me. He never said that. In fact, he tells us to use our minds. He says, love God with all your mind. You see, when you're developing your mind, when you're educating your mind, when you're strengthening your mind, you are actually doing an act of worship. Sometimes we never think about that. You are doing something with which God has given you. He's given you the gift of intellect. You should use it to his glory. Now, people who are thinkers, when they become followers of Jesus, they start to love the Bible. This is played out time and time again on the Alpha course. Oftentimes, people who are deeply intellectual, when they come to faith, they start to crave God's word. Why? Because all the answers to life's questions are in this book, and they want to delve into it and dig into it. They just love studying God's word. They're the ones that are going to sign up for a Bible study. They're the ones that are going to say, but why, Pastor? But why? And really stretch some of us to answer some of those deep-hearted, tough questions. Well, what's... So why do we need 
thinkers in this world. Well, we need talkers for communication. We need feelers to lead us in compassion. But we need thinkers in this world because we need consideration. In other words, somebody's got to be thinking through the implications of everything else all of us are doing. We need thinkers to take the tough problems in this world and bring solutions to the table. We need scientists and doctors and physicists. We need writers and philosophers. We need inventors so they can look at solutions to the problems we're facing in this world. Any of you watch Shark Tank? Okay, first of all, I just have to say I'm always so jealous because they thought of something I maybe should have thought of or come up, came up with. They're coming up with simple solutions to life's problems, albeit some of them probably fail, but there's some that actually take off and they make millions, but they solved a problem. They saw a need and filled the niche. The Bible tells us that we are to think about what God wants us to do with our lives. Lamentations 3.40 says we should think about the way we are living and turn back to the Lord. Socrates once said the unexamined life is not worth living. See, we need to think about the direction we're going in life. Thinkers are really good at doing this. They like to ponder every decision they make. They like to study with their heads and think about everything because they don't want to just make a wrong mistake. They don't want to go down the wrong path. My dad was a thinker. So anytime we went to buy a TV, a car, a new house, a computer, anything, these words would always come out of his mind, mouth, and I always was just always waiting for it. You know, I just got to go home and ponder this a little bit. I never liked that response because I was more about instant gratification. Let's just get the computer now. But Dad liked to think through and analyze everything. Well, are there weaknesses to this personality? Absolutely. One of them happens to be pride. You know, thinkers don't realize that not everybody processes information that quickly. So sometimes when you're processing that information so quickly, others might think you are arrogant. But you're probably not arrogant. They just don't think as quickly as you do. So you've got to be very careful with that. 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, Knowledge makes people arrogant. Love builds them up. Or the NIV says, Knowledge puffs up. Well, love builds up. So if you are a thinker, you need to use your intelligence for the glory of God but you also have to soften it when you're dealing with people. You want to soften it with love. Now, the other problem with thinkers is, of course, indecision, right? Because they like to study, because they like to think through all the issues, they sometimes can't make decisions. They vacillate, and they're kind of indecisive. So that's an area they need to pay attention to. Now, the Bible also cautions them to practice humility. To practice humility. The Bible says, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Why is that? Because God is God and you and I are not. But God's word says that we are to humble ourselves before him. Humility is a choice. Humility is a choice. Now, when you humble yourself, that's not diminishing your strengths. But rather, it's demonstrating a deep emotional intelligence within your heart so that you can understand and say, you know, I also have some weaknesses. 
you can be honest about who you are. And the other caution to thinkers is to practice what you know, kind of like the talkers. If you know it and you've come to a decision, then do it. James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So talkers love God with their hearts. Feelers love God with their soul. Thinkers love God with their mind. And doers love God with their strength. Now, as I look out over this crowd right here today, I see some of you who are doers. You are the go-getters. You're the ones that just go all in. You're the achievers. You're the accomplishers. You're the workers. You're the ones that push things forward. You're the get-her-done kind of people. Psalm 116 says this, Oh God, here I am, your servant, your faithful servant. Set me free for your service. Here's what you do. You don't want to sit on the sidelines. You say, Lord, I don't want to sit on the sidelines. I want to be a part of making history. I don't want to just read about history. I want to get out there and do it. Lord, I want to be on your team. Where can I help? That's what a doer says. But what's the purpose of doers in the world? Well, the world needs contribution. Yes, we need communication, compassion, consideration, but we've also got to get the work done. So we need people who can contribute. We need people of action. We need get-her-done kind of people, people with initiative, with energy, with action, with a passionate attitude for starting things and growing things and building things and developing things. We need those hands and feet willing to serve. But what are the weaknesses of a doer? Well, I can sum it up in one word. Overwork. Overwork. Doers are always doing. They work, 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 work. They have a hard time saying no because they want to get a job done. And so they are busy, busy, busy. God says in Psalm 127.2 from the Living Bible, It is senseless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, fearing you're going to starve to death. For God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. If you're a doer, I'd suggest you write that Bible verse down and stick it on your bathroom mirror as a reminder to you. You need to do less. Now, not less for God, but you need to examine your life and decide where you should be doing and where you should maybe not be doing. Now, those of you who are doers, I know are going to sign up for May 19th, which is our Calvary Works Day. I know those of you who are doers are already thinking about that. But I'm going to also encourage all of us to be doers on that day because we're called together as the body of Christ to go out and to do and be in the world and serve others. You'll learn more about that in a few weeks. Well, the Bible says when you become a Christian, God makes you a brand new person on the inside. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, When anyone becomes a Christian, they are a new person. The old has passed away and the new has come. God doesn't want to make a clone of, of anybody. God wants you to uniquely worship, serve him, and love him. And then he says, you know, I want you to worship me in a, with your full personality. In your talking, your feeling, in your thinking, and in your doing. And then he says, not only that, but I'm going to strengthen you in ways you don't even know about. Maybe some of you have Philippians 4.13 as a life verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
But basically, I can sum up this whole sermon today with one sentence. And some of you are probably saying, amen. Wish you could have done that at the beginning. Love God and love others with your whole personality. Love God and love others with your whole personality, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And if we do this, think about how this world might change. It would change how we relate to our co-workers, to our classmates, to our kids. What about to your spouse and to strangers? If we learn how God has created us and how he has created us to love one another, can that change the world? Yes. Love can change the world. Love God. Love others. You know, we are all in need of a Savior. We're all in need of redeeming. And we're all in that process of being made holy. We have that churchy word that we throw out all the time, sanctification, which simply means that each of us is in an inward spiritual process with God. And the Holy Spirit's always working in our hearts to change us and mold us and to make us more like Christ every day. So you and I need to surrender our personalities to Jesus so that we can grow, so that we can change and become less like we used to be and more like him. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God perfects each of our personalities and continues to conform you and I to his image, making us one with God and also one with one another. Let's pray.